0: Some of our breaking down and looking through the, the Jesus' teaching uh, to his disciples uh, about what life in uh, his kingdom would be like. Um, I did not expect when I came in that there would actually be a mountain in the back corner of the room. Um, and if you've ever been to Israel, that's probably about the size of the mountain that Jesus was preaching on. Uh, because in that area, there just aren't very big mountains. It's kind of like a hillside. But anyway, um, so uh, I'm going to age myself a little bit, and I feel like I'm doing this more and more uh, every time I preach, Um, but how many of you remember or have a context in your mind for summer reruns, right? Uh, That your favorite show would happen through the fall and the spring, and then uh, all of a sudden in the summer, you could watch it again. It was revolutionary. We'd never seen anything like this before, Um, The idea that uh, not only do I get to watch my favorite show once, I get to watch it twice. And so growing up as a kid, I knew that if I missed an episode of The A-Team in November, that I could watch it again in July. It was exciting. I remember growing up over the years and and, uh, anticipating summer because I knew I get to watch my favorite shows again and and I get to see something in them that maybe I missed the first time. Uh, Even in the into the early 2000s before the advent of Netflix um, if you were One of the major networks you you wouldn't dare try to start a new show in the summer Because if you did it would always lose out in the ratings to the hit shows that were running for a second time now we live in an age where Content is coming at us faster and faster, and if it's Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or whoever it is, they're constantly creating shows. There's always something new to watch, so we're jumping and moving from one thing to the next. People are always walking up asking the question, hey, have you seen this show? And it seems like the most random thing you've ever heard of in your life. Not only that, it's competing with everything that's still going on in the networks, and so you have all of this stuff coming at you, and the pursuit of, of seeing and hearing something new and different, for me, can be a bit overwhelming. And lately, I find it driving me back to the classics. And, and I look, and I go, oh, maybe I should start re-watching Friends, or Cheers, or my personal favorite, The Office, which I uh, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that you like that. That's great. Um, which I am actually uh, a little embarrassed to say. I've I think I've watched through five full times now. Yeah. Um, and uh, what amazes me, and what amazed me even as a kid, was the opportunity to watch something. And see something in it I'd never seen before. And so this summer, as, as we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, um, I, I, want, I want us to think about the Sermon on the Mount this summer like a classic series. It, it's something that, that many, if you've been walking in faith for a while, um, or even if, even if you haven't, there, there are some very familiar pieces that exist in the Sermon on the Mount. You have the Beatitudes. The Lord's Prayer is found in there. How to treat our neighbors. How, how to interact with people who aren't being really nice to us. It's all, all found in this, this teaching of Jesus. And there are just these, these characters that we know so well, Jesus and the disciples. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Pharisees, Pharisees. Um, but the Sermon on the Mount is meant to be returned to again and again and again. It's, it's meant to be rerun in the life of a Christian. It's the most concise teaching of Jesus that we have. And the more familiar we become with it, the more transformational this teaching of Jesus, uh, we find that it actually is. And we get to see a new aspect of it every single time. And so today, uh, this morning is going to serve as a bit of an introduction to uh, the series, to the Sermon on the Mount itself. Stephen, thank you for reading for us today. We're going to be referencing back to uh, some of what Stephen had read for us. But to get into this, let me give you a little bit of a context of, of where we're at in the in Matthew's narrative and in his gospel. Um, Jesus had just uh, called out his disciples. He's done some miracles. And now he's sitting down to teach them. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, and he wanted to uh, get something across to that audience about who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah of his people. He is king. And so even from the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he sets Jesus up in the way that he's approaching his disciples in a very kingly way. First, he says, Jesus gathers them and he sits down. A king or a person in authority never gave a decree, never said anything that was important while standing up. They would always sit. If there was a ruling or an authoritative thing, they would sit, often on a throne. Here, Jesus is just sitting talk to his disciples and then Matthew says this phrase and it seems like something we can really brush over but he says and he opens his mouth and when the king sat and then opened his mouth whatever he said next was to be not just listened to but to be uh... (laughs) what his word um (laughs) Uh, to be integrated into the fabric of our lives and to be lived out. And so here we have Jesus sitting. He's about to say something very important. And so this, is, this is how we want to frame the Sermon on the Mount for the next uh, few weeks as we go into this. First of all, the Sermon on the Mount is a manifesto On the kingdom of God. This idea of a manifesto, it's like a public declaration of intent by by the speaker, by the originator, um, for the people to grasp, to ponder, and ultimately to be able to live out. He's talking about what it means to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is proclaiming that Matthew records for the hearer, and even now today for the reader, is meant to be grasped. It's meant to be pondered. It's meant to be lived out. It's meant to be, like I said before, like a rerun. We keep coming back to it. In fact, <coughs> sorry, in the earlier church, and in Christian practice for a very long time, uh, Sermon on the Mount was memorized. It was was meant to be central to your thought and practice as a follower of Jesus. You can recall it and come back to it uh, as you needed. The second thing we want to look at in this is that the Sermon on the Mount is addressing and addresses the religious teaching and the cultural thought of the day. In Jesus' day, uh, there was a group of of people, they were called Pharisees. They weren't actually like, they weren't fully priests, and they weren't really people who were fully in power. Um, They were influencers, religious influencers. And while they were a bit of a, a smaller sect of people, they had tremendous influence on how people thought about, in this day, they were to engage God. So they put this heavy emphasis on following the law, the Torah, and they even added a bunch of laws to it. Um, and they, were, they emphasized following it to a T, that you would do uh, externally everything you could to please God, that God would be happy with you, that you would reap blessing in your life if you followed the rules. And if you didn't follow the rules, God would not be happy with you. They were often viewed in their day, though, as being hypocrites. People who would wear masks. This just appeared while I was on that side of the room. Thank you for loving me so well. They, They would be like people who would have masks because while on the outside they did all of the stuff, they performed for God and for others, their religion really well, Their hearts were not transformed. They weren't changed. They weren't in alignment with who God is. So, Jesus begins in the Sermon on the Mount to contrast what life in his kingdom is going to be like, opposed to how the Pharisees pursued God, or even how the Roman citizens in their time would pursue happiness. And so, you're going to see as we progress this summer his reference to both of these groups and both of these ways of living and thinking. Third, the Sermon on the Mount stresses the outflow of an inner work. Rather than performance for God through non-transformational law-keeping, this kingdom would be internal in nature. That what flowed out of your heart would be what identified you as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Far greater than how you performed your religious duty. Fourth, the Sermon on the Mount is not prescriptive religiosity. And I want you to hear this. As we go through this summer, we are not giving because Jesus did not just give us a list of things to attain to. That as we look at the Beatitudes, when he says, blessed are the meek, he was not saying, put on the mask or the performance of meekness and it will make you more like Jesus. Let your heart be so transformed by him that what flows out of you is his meekness. This is what life in his kingdom would be like. And all of this leads us to this one understanding, and this is the very heart of this entire summer. It's that Jesus wants to deal with the issues of our hearts, not just the symptoms of what's going on in our hearts. He he doesn't want to just look and go, Wow! You're doing this. You're acting this way. You're behaving this way. So change it. Saying no. I want to give you a new heart. And change you from the inside. So that in every part of your life and your movement and your being you're operating as one who belongs. You belong to my kingdom. If you walk out of anything this, this summer, it's that you belong. You belong to him, you're his. No level of performance for him will make you happy or your lack of performance will, will rain judgment down on you. But there is a better way to live. And he's inviting us into this better life in his kingdom. Now, because he wants to deal with the issues of our heart and not just the symptoms, this changes a bit the way we're going to look at things like what Stephen just read to us. The Beatitudes, what Jesus is is saying here, fly in the face of uh, this status-seeking, ritually pure, pharisaical attitude towards our pursuit of God, where keeping the law to a T to please God Um, isn't actually giving him what he wants, which is our hearts. Because when we do pursue God that way, it it, it makes us like, like them. Where we begin to view ourselves as morally superior to other people. Because they did. They viewed themselves as morally superior. They instigated conflict wherever they went. They sought status and favor with the Roman government and believed that um, we could legislate morality. And, And society could be transformed by following the law. And here Jesus, sitting, opening his mouth, decrees a kingdom marked... By transformed hearts. Now, this means that the poor in spirit and those who mourn and the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the merciful and the pure of heart and the peacemakers and the persecuted are internally transformed to live as ambassadors of a very radical kingdom. But this radical kingdom Jesus is talking about was not necessarily a new idea in their minds. This is how God meant for his people to live all along. Two Old Testament passages help us frame this a bit. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a, what's that word? Light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Jesus says, you are the light. Of the world. He's telling them something they already knew, but they were walking very far from what the intention of light would look like. They're saying if we look like light on the outside, everyone will go, oh, they're light. We should be light. So let's dress like them and let's act like them. No. Jesus is saying, let's get back to what I mean by light. That I'm going to do a work inside of you and through you. Eyes that were blind are going to see, and captives will be free. And those who sit in darkness will be released. You are light, just as you've always been meant to be light. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3 says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show his favor, favor the day when our God will seek vengeance, to console all who mourn, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion. By giving them a turban instead of ashes, oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal his splendor. They will live in the world around them in such a way that it will be transformed by them. This is very much the idea behind you are, this, you are salt. And the only way salt can be salt is to bring flavor. Otherwise, salt can lose its saltiness, right? It just sits around. It's, it's not useful. And so in this, Jesus is saying, I am calling you to a transformed heart so that your light and your flavor can be experienced by all you come in contact with. Martin Lloyd Jones, who is a, a Welsh theologian, sums it up this way. He says, We are not told in the Sermon on the Mount, live like this, and you will become more Christian. Rather, we are told, because you're a Christian, live like this. This is how Christians ought to live. This is how Christians are meant to live. We're meant to live from a transformed heart. To react to the things life throws at us differently to pursue God in a different way, to interact with one another, so differently than the example that had been set for the people that were following Jesus. So different. So, King Jesus is declaring that those who are his citizens, those who are citizens of his kingdom, will be marked by hearts that are transformed. So we're going to spend some time in reflection this morning. As we set our hearts to move forward into the rest of this summer. And I'm going to ask some questions, and I just, I just want you to spend some time thinking. If you've got a pen and paper and you want to write some thoughts, you could do that. Uh, maybe even take some notes on your phone. But again, our aim this morning is, is not to be prescriptive, so I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you how to walk these things out. Um, What we are going to do is ask some leading questions so that we can get honest about our identification as citizens in the kingdom of God. First question is this, how different is your life because you were following Jesus? Scale one to ten, how much life change have you seen? how different is your heart because you said yes to him? And before you said yes to him. It's a good place to start. How different is your life because you are following Jesus? It's a good opportunity to reflect and celebrate where you have seen God is transforming you. It's also a really good opportunity for us this summer to stop and say, God, there's still some parts of my life that just aren't different. They're not transformed yet. And to partner with the Spirit of God to lay those areas of our lives down so that he can make them new. Second question. How differently are you responding To the situations that arise in your life that cause you worry or could cause anxiety than you were before you said yes to following Jesus? How different are you responding to life? Is it different? It's been transformed. Next question. How differently are you do you respond to the people around you that you are in life with every day? Because you were following Jesus? You're doing good. Two more questions. The next question is this. Is your pursuit of God still about doing the right things to win his approval? We flesh that out a little bit more. Do I believe that good things happen to me because God is pleased with me? and bad things are happening to me because I haven't done enough to please him. If that is true, that is the faith of the Pharisees, not the faith of a follower of Jesus. So is your pursuit of God still about doing the right things to win his approval? Last one, is your life salt and light or is it flavorless and hidden? Is your life salt and light or is it flavorless and hidden? see, Jesus gave us this teaching for us to grasp, to ponder, and to ultimately live out. We ought not be afraid of the pondering, of asking these questions, of answering them honestly, of bringing them to him, being honest before him, And say, God, I am am just now still learning what it means to walk as a citizen in your kingdom. Transform my heart. That I, I might live how you created me, how you intended me to live and interact with the world around me in such a way that would bring flavor and light